Well, good evening. My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here. And it's a gift to see so many of you here in the middle of the week coming to do this weird thing that we do every year to start Lent together, where we read the same scriptures and we're marked with the ashes on our foreheads. And I love these scriptures. They are just this crazy jumble of images and these sensory details. They're not the kind of passages that you listen to and you dissect. They're the kind of passages that you step inside and you experience. You hear these trumpets blowing. You feel these clothes ripping and cheeks splashed with water. You hear the sound of a door closing quietly. And the main text that we're going to step into tonight is the one that Grant read a minute ago from the prophet Joel, chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first two verses again. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. It's this terrifying picture. Joel is describing the day of the Lord, the judgment day of Yahweh, the end of all things. It's what the poet John Donne called the world's last night. And the prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Malachi, and Jesus all had a lot to say about this day of judgment when God would finally come and judge the world he had made. Joel describes it as a day when shadows suddenly come in and cover the earth when these dark clouds roll in, and when the people look up, they see that the hills are just crawling with enemy troops, marching toward them as far back as they can see, and there is no escape. Well, back in Joel chapter 1, the prophet <coughs> describes something that had recently happened to the people. He describes an infestation of locusts, and those locusts had darkened the sky. They had covered the land, and they had swarmed into every last nook and cranny. And so here in chapter 2, when Joel is imagining this day of judgment, he uses a lot of that same language. It's like he's saying, remember that catastrophic day when out of nowhere, everything we knew and loved was just stripped bare. The day of the Lord will be like that, but more, like nothing the world has ever seen. And so tonight, as we begin Lent together, I want to think about the Day of Judgment. So recently, I watched an entire season in just a couple days of The Great British Baking Show. Can I see a show of hands if you are familiar with this show? Okay, great. Then you will track with this. So every season, a group of these amateur bakers compete in these different challenges. They'll make pastries and cakes and breads. And it's reality TV, so there is drama, but it's also British baking drama, so it's kind of sweet. <laughs> Sometimes they curdle their custard, or they mix up their salt and their sugar, or their bagel dough might be underproved. And then you watch them racing against the clock, trying to fix whatever mistakes they've made and have something impressive. And then the judges come by, 
They look over whatever they've made, they cut it open, and they eat it. And who can tell me what is like the best thing that can happen when the judges come by your counter? Call it out. The handshake, that's right. Paul Hollywood, somehow that's his real name, Paul Hollywood's handshake. Paul is a bread expert, he is a perfectionist, he's kind of rude and opinionated, and he doesn't give these handshakes out lightly. So if you get a Paul Hollywood handshake, it means that whatever you have made is as close to perfect as humanly possible. And I was thinking about how the contestants crave this handshake and how what they are really craving is judgment. They actually want to be judged. They want to put forward the best thing they can possibly make and have it scrutinized. They want to receive this handshake that says, well done, good and faithful baker. And this kind of judgment is actually the premise of so much reality TV. People willingly presenting themselves for judgment so that they can get a bachelor's rose, or so they can be on mat in Daytona, or whatever the reward is. And so we often think about judgment as this really negative thing. We tend to think our culture thinks of judgment as a really negative thing, and that the last thing that we or anyone would ever want is to be judged. But then the way we entertain ourselves kind of suggests otherwise. Because we watch all these small-scale, sort of lowercase j judgment days playing out on all these television shows, it made me wonder if maybe we are actually wired for judgment. If maybe in a way we're even longing for it. Longing to present ourselves to God as we really are. To stop pretending and stop performing and to be completely seen in his presence. Longing to be perfectly and justly inspected by the God who made us, the God who wrote our recipe, who knows exactly the fragrance and the texture and the flavor that he wants out of our lives, and the God who will settle for nothing less than a perfectly baked loaf that perfectly meets the hunger of our world. And we don't just long for this judgment for ourselves, but for the whole world. We are longing for the Creator to come and inspect what He has made, top to bottom, every nook and cranny. We're longing to know that God really sees, that when that great cloud of judgment comes, there is nothing that will escape its shadow. That our God will not be fooled by confusion and fake news. That he will not look past the intense pain and suffering of the world. Past the suffering of children. Past the betrayal of people we trusted. Past the evil that's inflicted on the most vulnerable. The desecration of creation. And all the lies that are told to prop these things up to hide them. None of that escapes God's gaze. And so when we are longing for true justice for every living creature on earth, 
And when we're longing for everything that is wrong to be set right, including in us, and when we are longing to be seen as we really are, we are longing for judgment. But there's an obvious problem, because who we really are can't withstand God's scrutiny. If our holy God is the judge, then all hope is lost because none of us deserves a handshake, and we know it. And C.S. Lewis had this to say about the Day of Judgment. He writes, Someday, an absolutely correct verdict, if you like, a perfect critique, will be passed on what each of us is, and it will be infallible judgment. If it is favorable, we shall have no fear. If unfavorable, no hope. We shall not only believe we shall know, know beyond doubt in every fiber of our appalled or delighted being that as the judge has said, so we are, neither more nor less nor other. We shall perhaps even realize that in some dim fashion, we could have known it all along. This is the day of the Lord that Joel and all the prophets before him and after him were talking about. This is the world's last night. And so what do we do? What is the hope for us? Reading from verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. This is the first and the only time in the book of Joel that God is speaking directly to us, face to face. And what he has to say is, even now, there is hope. And that hope is not in pretending or performing perfectly It's not in sneaking our mistakes past the judge. It's not really even in what we do at all. It has more to do with the state of our hearts and the character of our judge. God is seeking broken-hearted people for his kingdom, people who see and grieve what is wrong in the world and what is wrong in us, and people who then dare to hope in the God who will set it all right. And there's no more picture, no more powerful picture of the love of God to set things right than the cross. This other day when the sky grew black and the judgment of God cast its long shadow on all humanity, Jesus endured the judgment of God and his cross became for us the love of God. And this truth is reverberating through all of our Ash Wednesday readings. So tonight we'll receive the sign of the cross on our foreheads as this visible, physical, small way of rending our hearts. These ashes are a way of signifying that we are a people under judgment to declare and mourn that we do not deserve the handshake of a holy judge, and then to remember that by the love of God for us on the cross, we receive it anyway. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.